We're going to be in the book of First Peter this evening, First Peter, and um, I have to admit I was really excited to get the opportunity to teach, which I always am. Um, it's a privilege, really. I mean, Pastor Carl does a great job, and he did a great job finishing the book of Job, and then um, I knew I was going to be teaching, and then um, Michael came up and, and taught on creation and all, and I was like, wow, that guy is like really smart. And really good, you know. And then um, John talked the last couple of weeks, and I was like, holy cow, like, you know, I'm not so excited anymore. There's like really good guys that are going up there and, and preaching it. So um, hopefully I can hold up the, the banner here for you guys. Um, we're going to be going through the book of First Peter for the next eight or nine weeks. Um, I've got the opportunity to, to do that, and I'm excited about that. So, um, so we will see how it goes. We're going to speedily go through two verses tonight. Um, so we're trying to drown this out. Maybe I'll do the whole year or something like that. Um, I'm sure at some point Pastor Carl will tackle me and, and stop me from doing it. But um, so First Peter, we'll do the first two verses tonight. Uh, kind of like what I like to do it is I'll read the first two verses and then we'll pray and then we'll kind of open up from there. So if everybody's got their spot. So First Peter chapter one says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithany, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Father, we just thank you for this evening. We do thank you for just the opportunity to be able to um, be here this evening to open up your word, to be able to be here as believers and to be able to see how you and would speak to us this evening. Again, each of us coming in this room with different problems, different things that are going on in our lives. And maybe for some this evening as we come in here, Lord, it's a, it's a refuge. There's just many things that are going on and the chaos of life is taking over and it just, it's a place that I can just come to your altar and be at your feet, Lord. For some of this, this evening, we're looking for you, God, looking for a word from you. Father, I just pray that you would speak to each of us this evening, wherever that we're at in our lives, and that this word would go forth and, and that you would be glorified by what is taught here this evening. And we ask this in your name, amen. So starting off, um, again, everybody kind of knows who Peter is. We have kind of um, heard his name. We've, we've probably made jokes about Peter throughout our life as a Christian, and, and we always joke around about him and, and some of the, the things that he has said and the way that he has said them. And um, so some, some of the background, just clearly, that we see of Peter is that uh, we know that he's the author of the letter. It, it, it says it clearly. It says also in, in, in chapter 5 that Silas is the one who helped him to write it, um, which is important to understand because some people think, well, he was a fisherman, he wasn't that learned, how could he possibly have written this? And then Silas is there, and, and so some of that stuff just kind of goes away. I think Peter wrote it because it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, so I'm going to kind of go along with that. Um, so we all know something about Peter. We know that his given name is Simon. Um, we know that Jesus came across and, 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 and named him Peter, and it was the rock, and on this rock that I shall build my church. Um, and so it's, it's not a point where Peter is the pope or he wasn't the first pope, things like that. 
But the important part there is to understand again, and we'll get back to it, that, that Peter was a rock for Jesus. We know that he was married. Matthew 8 says that, that Jesus healed his mother-in-law. He actually ends up taking her on, a mission, on the mission field with him too. We see that in 1 Corinthians. Outside the name of Jesus, Peter's name is also mentioned more times in the gospel than any other name. Just something interesting that I didn't know before last week. His brother is Andrew, and he's a disciple as well. And we see in John, the first chapter of John, that they had been disciples of John the Baptist, the two of them, and, um, and John directs them to Jesus. He says, look, this, this is where you need to go. And to me, it's interesting that, again, I think a lot of times we just think that, that it, they just happened to come across them, that no, they were, they were seeking the Christ. You know, Pastor Carl talked about this weekend, again, that, that, that they, they understood the stories and they understood where they came from as, as, the, as the chosen people of, of God and, and that they, they understood the stories, they understood the prophecies, and, and these men were looking for the Christ. It wasn't just a happenstance. In John 1, 41, Andrew tells his brother, Simon, he says, we have found the Messiah. We have found him. What great news that this is. And and then in verse 42, he goes on and he's given the name of Peter by Jesus. So I wanted to give you guys a short list kind of of who Peter is, and I kind of broke it up into three different um, sections, and you'll understand it when I get there. But I think sometimes when you, when you read a book, it's important to understand kind of who the person is that's writing the letter. You need to understand the characteristic of that person. You need to understand where he's coming from. We all understand Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, so we really have a true understanding of who Paul is. And you'll probably hear me say Paul several times tonight because it's not Paul writing it, it's Peter, but I'm so used to saying Paul. The first thing that we see in Peter is, is, is the boldness of Peter. And I think that we all know that boldness of Peter. We've, we've read it, we've seen it in the Gospels, and we know that Peter was the one that walked on water. Remember, Jesus is coming along and and, and, and Peter says, hey, if you're Jesus, you know, tell me to walk on the water. I'll, I'll do it. Peter says, come on out, which is kind of funny because even if it wasn't Jesus, don't you think the person would have been like, yeah, come on out here. This would be kind of funny to see. And he would have just drowned in there, right? But the boldness and the excitement of Peter and the trust of who Jesus was, that he took the step. You know, again, that boldness is not something that, again, I was joking with my wife that I thought a lot of times I think we... We try to characterize ourselves into these men that we read in the word, whether it's Paul or I kind of recognize I'm kind of like Paul or I'm, I'm kind of like Peter, you know, I've, I've kind of got that in me. Or, you know, I like to say, I'm like John, I got a lot of love and just, I like that side of John. And, um, but I don't think ever I would have had the boldness of Peter to step out on those waves. And just the boldness of Peter and the trust in the, in the Lord to be able to take that step. John 6, 66 through 69 says the confession after many turn away and the boldness of Peter and, and, and you, you know, guys know the story is, you know, Jesus is telling them like, my body is the bread and my blood's the wine. And they're like, oh, this is, I don't, I don't think I can go along with this teaching. And it says a lot of the disciples turned away and walked from them. And Jesus didn't turn and, and try to chase them down and, and, and run to them and try to grab them back to continue his ministry. He just looked at the other 12 and said, you're still here? And Peter just looks at him and says, Lord, where else will we go? Only you have the words of life. 
I mean, the boldness of, of, of Peter to understand at that moment, like the, the rest of everything that he knows and, and the ministry's coming to a point and, and it's getting a little weird now and I've got to trust in who Christ is. And at that moment, Peter could have been like everybody else and walked away. But he says, no, I'm going to stand here. Siri's trying to listen to my message. He says, no, I'm not going to walk away because I know you, Lord. I know you're the Christ and, and you're the one that I've been looking for and you're the one that I want to follow. We also know the, the response to Jesus washing their feet and Jesus gets down to wash their feet, which again would be weird if, if the Christ is sitting there and God's washing your feet and he's like, oh Lord, you can't do that. He says, well, if I don't do this, you can't have anything to do with me. And then typical Peter way, then like, don't just wash my feet, then just wash my whole body. Like, give it all to me then. And, and she's like, no, I don't, I don't need to do that. But again, he's the boldness. I, I want everything that you have then, Lord. And don't just wash my feet. I don't want just a little bit of you. I want everything that you have. And I, I want it now. And I just, I want to be consumed by you. Peter's also the one that attacks the servants at, at Jesus's arrest. And he takes out his, his knife and he cuts the man's ear off. And, and it's just the boldness of, just, of reacting at a moment when, the, again, I, we, again, when we read things, it's so sterile when you read it in black and white that, that there are real emotions and there's, there's, it's hot and it's sweaty and, and things are chaotic and there's hundreds of men that are coming up to, to arrest Jesus. And you, you have to understand the moment. It's not just a black and white story that you read and, oh, they came up and Judas gives this nice little kiss on his cheek. And I mean, there's, there's anxiousness inside them and there's, there's like, what is really happening? Is this really going down? And they're gonna arrest Jesus? Like, you're not gonna arrest my, my Lord. And he pulls it out and I understand it because the boldness of Peter, he just reacts. The second thing that I see in Peter is Peter's a leader. He's in the gospels, his name is listed first whenever they mention the 12. They don't mention John first. They don't mention Andrew first. They don't, nobody else's name. It's Peter, and then they'll mention the 12. Peter, and then they'll go down the list of the names. Consistently, he's the spokesperson for the 12. The other 11 are sitting there, and they're kind of quiet, and they're, they're kind of going through the motions. And, and the bleeding woman in Luke 8, Peter's the one that talks to Jesus about it. Like, what are you talking about somebody's touching? Like, everybody's touching you. I mean, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. He's the spokesperson. At the transfiguration, there's, there's the three of them that are there. Jesus is the one that just gets so excited and, and understanding of like, I got to do something. And he's like, Lord, should, I, should we build something? Like, I got to do something, you know? He's the one that speaks it. The other two are probably thinking the same thing. Like, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe what we're, we've been called out to see this. And, and it's the three of us. And, and the other two are quiet because they're like, well, I know Peter's going to say something because he just does it. And so Peter in the boldness and the being a leader is like, Lord, we should, we should do something. This is good for us to be here, isn't it? Just missing the opportunities and understanding. If you turn to Luke 18, it'll actually be on the screen. Luke 18, the other thing that he does is is um, he speaks for all for all he speaks all to Jesus for all of them, Luke eighteen. I'm sorry, starting in verse eighteen, as it says, a certain ruler to give you the background on it. It says a certain ruler asked him, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. He goes, "No one is good except for God alone." And Jesus continues. He says, "You you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, and you shall not murder, and you shall not steal, and you shall not give false testimony." Honor your father and mother. 
And then he comes back and says, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. And if I was Jesus, I would have said, well, first you need to add on liar also because you're not keeping that because there's no way that you've kept the rest of these. And, but he doesn't. Jesus continues to move on. And he says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, you still lack one thing. He says, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he walked away because he was very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And did it, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. Those who heard this then asked, well, then who can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, Jesus, we have left all to follow you. Jesus answers back and says, truly I tell you, no one has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come to eternal life. It's that moment where Peter looks at him and, and again, I think it's a, it's a touching conversation when, when Jesus looks at him and says, but, but Lord, we, we've given everything. I, I'm gonna speak for the 11 here that I'm just letting you know, I, I've, I've given it all to you. I, literally, I, I, I've, I've just, I've turned over everything. And, and it, again, this is not a, a typical point where Peter's brashness is taking over and that he's just, he's just being pompous and all. I, I think this is a genuine, like Peter's looking at this, this situation and Lord, I, I've, I've done it all. You know, Lord, I don't know if you know this, but back in Matthew 4, you, you saw us on the beach. And at that moment, that's when you said to, to drop your nets and follow me. And my brother and I, we did. Lord, we walked away from our business. We walked away from our family. We walked away from our retirement plan. We walked away from, from everything. I, I did give everything. I'm just, I'm just nervous because I, I want to make sure that, that what I'm doing right now, that I can continue to, to follow you. And I know that there's a promise there. And Jesus doesn't look at him and, and, and push him away or anything like that. But Jesus wants him to understand, look, I, 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 I understand you, Peter. And for some of us in this room this evening, we, maybe we've done the same exact thing. Maybe some of you don't have conversations with your family anymore. Maybe there's friends that you just, you had for a long time and, and you don't have friends with them anymore. Maybe some of you had businesses where they were prosperous and you were doing really well. And because of your convictions, you decided, I, I've got to walk away from this. And I say to you this evening that it's fine. Jesus said to follow me and, and, and I promise that I'm there for you. I promise that I will be there for you. Don't worry about those things. It's not that, it's, it's not that you're rich or anything like that. He said, look, with, with God, things are, are possible. With man, it's impossible. I, I've got you and I'm with you. The third thing that I see with Peter is that Peter's corrected. These are the things that we probably know more than the others is you know, Jesus rebukes Peter and says, out of my sight, Satan, for you're a stumbling block to me. That's in Matthew 16. And, and it's a point too where, where he tells him, look, I'm, I'm gonna have to, I'm, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pass away. And he's like, look, he pulls him aside and he's like, Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not. This is really good for church growth here that you can't go tell everybody that you're gonna die. Like that's not gonna help us in what we're trying to accomplish. And he says, look, Jesus just looks at him and says, look, you need to get behind me, Satan. 
Because what I, he knows already what he's gonna go through is gonna be so difficult and so hard that I don't need to have the temptation from you and I don't have to have that conversation with you to add it, make it even harder than what it is. All four gospels record that Jesus predicting Peter's denial even after Peter states, you know, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And Jesus says, and I think John said it a couple of weeks ago, is that you won't even make it through the night. And in fact, three times tonight that you'll deny me. That's just tonight. Jesus looks at them and he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's sitting there and he's understanding what's about to happen to him and he's, he's praying and he's, he's under such great ordeal of what he's struggling with and he asks the disciples, hey, look, I really need you guys I need you guys to pray tonight. I, 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 I need this from you guys. This is, your, your guys are my guys and I need you to pray tonight. And on Jesus's last night, they, they couldn't stay awake and they fall asleep and he wakes them up and what, what are you guys doing? I said, I need you. I, I need you at this time because I, I know what's coming and I know the struggle that's gonna go through and, and I'm just asking you, can you just, just please pray? Fall asleep goes on, and John did a good job with this a couple weeks ago too, is that later on, Peter does deny Christ. He's sitting there, and, he, he, and even at one point, he, he, he cusses for the fact that he, I don't know that person. And at that moment, that's when Christ looks up and just looks at him in the face. I, I can't imagine the feeling of Peter at that time. This man that you have gone through three years of your life and you, you have um, seen unbelievable miracles. I mean, just the healings alone and then just the provisions that he's provided and the things that he's done and, and to see him to be able to do that. And then at this moment, you've, you've actually even, this night, you've even cut somebody's ear off for this man and it, that you're willing to die for him and do everything. And then Jesus just looks up. And, and again, I don't think it was in anger. I don't think it was like... See, I told you, you couldn't even get through, couldn't, couldn't stay awake tonight. Now you're denying me. I, see, Peter, I told you the whole time. He just looks at him, and I think with just an understanding face of just Peter. Peter, I'm sure, just breaks down and weeps. His, his insides are just torn apart, and he just can't believe what he had just done, and he just, he leaves and walks out. Beautiful thing that, that Jesus does. Then he turns around and he restores Peter. And if you can go over to John chapter 21, I can't think it'll be on the screen. John 21, 15 through 19. And it says, when they had finished eating, this is after Peter swims to shore when he sees that it's Jesus that's on the shore. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he's talking about the fish. And said, yes, Lord, he said. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Verse 16 says, again, Jesus said, son of, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time, on purpose, I'm sure, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. So, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you, Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death of which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Again, the fact that Jesus took the time to come back to Peter and specifically have a conversation with him to restore him back into the fellowship and back into the friendship and to make sure that Peter understood, look, I, I forgive you. I forgive you for something that I already knew was going to happen. I told you ahead of time it was gonna happen. But, but Jesus took the time and he's wanting to make sure and he says, look, and, and I'm sure he says, follow me. And I'm sure immediately in his mind, Peter goes back to the fact of being on that beach when Jesus said, follow me. And he understood immediately what Christ was asking him to do. And, and, and all of a sudden, it's like a point where, G, where Peter just turns into just a completely different man than he was before. Just a different man of understanding the, the highs and lows. And it's no more just a, a lifestyle of what he's living. And, and, and there's, a, there's an actual depth to the conversation. And, and he, he understands that, that, that Jesus takes the time and has a conversation. And he says, look, I want you to do something for me. Get, get over that. Okay, it's gone. I want you to serve me now. You see, I'm gonna be gone and I need somebody to feed my sheep. I need somebody to take the time and to, to love them and to, to, to have the emotions and have the ability to reach them in, in a way that only Peter can do it. Why? Because Peter, I've made you special. Just like the rest of us. Each one of us in this room is special. Each one of us has, has different things that we're able to, to bring to the kingdom that Pastor Carl continues to talk about. The, the reason you come to church is because each of us is a different piece of the puzzle. Peter's piece was no bigger than anybody else's in here. Peter was given a job to do. We're given jobs to do within the body of, the, of Christ. So whether it's you're supposed to go out and you're supposed to witness or whether you're supposed to be somebody who, who teaches or you're supposed to be somebody who, who cleans the floors in here or somebody, what is your piece that you're gonna do to glorify God? Jesus said, I want you to follow me. And I think at this moment is, is that we see here three years later after he calls him that this is now finally the rock of which he was gonna build upon his church. See, again, we looked three years ago and we're like, there's no way Peter is ready for that job. Like, there's no way. Three years later, we see a completely different man of God. We see somebody who has stumbled. We see somebody who has made mistakes. We see somebody who has, who has just blown it completely. But we also see somebody who's grown from his mistakes. We see somebody who has had repentant heart. We somebody, see somebody who's coming to the forefront with Jesus and having an understanding of what he's been called to do. And now that person is ready to do it. And Christian, where are you at today? If you're still at the very beginning stage, then, then you need to test yourself and you need to push yourself a little bit more, if I can be so blunt with you. There's a point where we, we need to continue to move in our walk with Christ. And see, Christ doesn't need you here. Christ needs you here. And he's not asking you to be here right now, but he's saying, look, what are you doing to get to that point? There's at some points where you would have looked at Peter's life and go, man, he just needs to throw in the towel. I mean, just the things that he's doing, the things that he's saying, the mistakes that he's making, but, but Peter continued to persevere. Are, are you willing to persevere? Are you willing to take the time to, to open up your Bible? And are you willing to take the time to study it and to understand what it means? Are you, are you just too tired to get up in the morning and ah, I'll just hit snooze again? Because that seven minutes really is gonna make the difference of what you feel the rest of the day, okay? 
I hit it twice this morning, so I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> it's a point of where are you going to go in your walk with Christ? Peter made a decision. We see in Acts chapter 2, shortly after this, roughly 50 days later after Jesus' death and his resurrection, at the place where Peter's denial happened, he sits there and he gives an amazing Billy Graham sermon. 3,000 people come to know the Lord. The same Peter that 50 days later is absolutely sobbing in tears because he had let the Lord down. Just absolutely sobbing, but yet because he was willing to be used and because he understood the, the desire and what God had asked him to do, he decides to step out of the boat again and to make that move. The book of Acts also shows us about Peter in Acts chapter four. It says, the same Peter who denied Christ is now proclaiming him in front of the high priest in the Sanhedrin. It's the same area that he denied him. King Herod in Acts chapter 12 arrests him to have Peter executed and an angel of the Lord helps him to escape. So it says, why? Because he's out there and he's still proclaiming the gospel. And they're like, well, we got to get rid of this guy. He's just, we got to get rid of him. We got we to kill him. And, and actually they kill two others. But, but Peter, the angel Lord comes and helps him to escape and gets out of there. Comes knocking at the door and nobody wants to answer the door. Acts 15, it says, Peter, one of the leaders in the church is encouraging the church to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's where you see then Paul and Barnabas take off and they start their missionary trips. But Peter was one of the leaders in the church to be able to do that. They didn't sit there and go, aren't you the Peter that denied him three times? Aren't you the Peter that, that cut that guy's ear off? Aren't you the guy, the Peter that kept saying stupid stuff? Yeah, no, it's, I'm the Peter that led 3,000 to the Lord. What'd you do? You know, I'm the Peter that sat there and, and was willing to admit what I had done and, and had a conversation with Jesus. So Peter is definitely distorted and restored, and Peter is definitely a leader within the church. And so when Peter sits here and he writes this letter, it has authority when the church has received this letter at this point. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And an apostle here is, again, you kind of know this word because Paul uses it a lot as well too. It's, it's a delegate, it's a messenger, it's one who is sent forth with orders. And obviously we can see that within Peter's life that he's, he's been sent out to be able to do these things. And, and there's no doubt that any church that would have, would have received a letter from Peter, any church that would have known that it has been written from Peter, they would have congregated to hear this because it not only was just Paul who had been changed by Christ by meeting him, this is actually Peter who ministered with him for three years. Peter had given up everything he had to have the honor of being called an apostle. And I think that's important too, because so many times we, we're maybe somewhat embarrassed to admit that we're a Christian, or sometimes we're embarrassed to make the fact that, that we have values or that, that we go against what the world says. And we wanna kind of keep that a hush-hush. Peter is sitting here and he's just announcing the fact of who he is. No, I'm, I'm an apostle. I'm somebody who is a messenger of Jesus Christ and I'm willing to follow he complained about before too. He didn't complain, but he mentioned before too that I had given it all and soon Peter will give it all. He'll give his life. He continues on. He says, to, to God's elect, the exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithany. And Peter writes this letter and this is a letter that's written basically to modern day Turkey. Um, Turkey's in the news lately. You should be praying for Turkey. There was a 
huge earthquake there. I think there's like 10,000 or more at this point that have perished, 12,000. Um, so again, we do have somebody that's in the area, the missionary from the church that's there. Actually, my daughter's going to be on a mission trip there. So I did probably shouldn't mention this tonight with my wife here that there was an earthquake there, but um, it's in the southern part. So um, she'll be far away from it, I hope. Um, so, um, but anyways, so it, Turk, modern day Turkey, and, it, and, and those who are under, it's under Roman control at this point. And so when he's writing this letter to him, the whole purpose of this letter is now is written to a group of people in, in Turkey. And what he's trying to do is, is encourage them, encourage them in their faith. And because at this point they're under Roman control. And so Rome has is, is gotten really crazy because Nero, who is really crazy, is under control of the, of the and he has, it's since this point, he's, he's burned most of Rome down because he wanted to rebuild Rome, okay? And so when the people were like, hey, you did that? You know, like, that's not right. You shouldn't like burn it down and kill a bunch of your own people. And so then he was like, it was the Christians, really. It was the Christians who did it. And so now at this point, all of Rome is just at this is looking at the Christians as part of the problem within the of what they have. So then, what they do is now they're they're under persecution. People don't like the Christians, um, and so now they are being martyred within Rome, as, especially itself, um, where he's you know using them as candles and stuff like that. And you can kind of read all that kind of stuff. I don't want to talk about that tonight. My wife's here, so that's what he's doing on that side. So uh, so at this point, it's, it's a point where people are sitting there and they are just under persecution of what they're doing, just trying to live their life. And again, it's, it's hard for us to imagine that. Again, if you go back to the culture where they're at, because where we sit, you know, somebody makes fun of us because we're a Christian and we're like, oh, I'm under persecution today. No, they, they were literally just being killed and they were losing their jobs and they were unable to live their life. So when you were a Christian back then, the persecution was just, an unbelievable level of what they were experiencing at the time. So this letter is coming along and he's trying to encourage them to walk in their faith and continue to, to help them to continue to fight the good fight and continue to, to, to walk in such a manner that you're still going to glorify God in the things that you do. And they're exiles and they're scattered and, and exiles is, is strangers. It's one who sojourns the earth and Peter's trying to remind them, one, that if, if you have been scattered from your original hometown, it, it doesn't really matter because at this point, you, you, your home is in heaven. You know, and again, the reminder for us too is that sometimes we have loyalty and we have nationality and stuff like that. And, I'm, and I'm, I love being an American, stuff like that. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is not to get comfortable here though, because again, my, my home is in heaven, okay? I'm supposed to be here and I'm supposed to be a wonderful ambassador and I'm supposed to to, to do the things that I'm supposed to be because I'm American and, and, and under the government that has been placed above me. But again, it's a point of they've been scattered and they've been sojourned and you're in an area that is still not your home. James 1.1 uses the same term as far as scattered. And James says it's a, a servant of God and, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And the word scattered really is, is like a term where like you would scatter seed and you would spread it around. And so we, we as Christians are sitting here and we're being used and we're being scattered throughout the area that we live in. We're being scattered throughout the world because that's the way that the world is going to be here, able to hear about Jesus. And, and one thing that you can sit there and you can read it, and, and the, again, the word doesn't come back void. I'm completely on top of that. But there's a point too where they won't hear it. They won't be saved unless they hear it. They have to hear the gospel. Well, we have to then get out of our comfort zone and we have to be able to spread and we have to be able to willing to be scattered throughout the area that we're in. Well, scattered for us, this, this, as you go to work tomorrow, you're being scattered when you go to work. You're being scattered when you go to Target. You're being scattered when you go to Walmart or to the beach. I mean, you're, you're out there and you're openly professing who you are in, in Christ. 
And then that's how people then see what a Christian looks like. It's not just the ones that they see on TV it's that they put on there. It's, it's us. I'm your neighbor. I'm the guy mowing my yard down the street. I'm the guy weeding my, my garden. I'm the, I'm the person that's, that's taking care of my kids and my wife and stuff like that. That's, that's also what a Christian is. And I'm loving them in a way that Christ has told me to and we're honoring the Lord and, and the things that we watch and we do and we say. Does your lifestyle reflect that? I mean, if you're being scattered as, as far as seed within an area, I mean, do your jokes match up with what your faith says? Does your music that you're listening to match up to what your, your faith says? There's a certain um, satellite um, radio company that we used to have on our car, um, and we just canceled it because of the, some of the stuff that they were actually promoting um, through their, their website, and that we were like, ah, that's just, you know, we're not going to listen to that but at the same time, I don't want to promote it for them as well too. And so there's times where you have to look at it and go, what are the decisions that I need to make as a Christian that then is going to turn back so people understand who Christ is? So either through persecution, people have gone out and, or they've received salvation in their hometown and, or they've moved somewhere. The important part is that, that we are Christians wherever we go and to whatever we do. Going back to, it says, to God's elect, and there's a comma there, and he fills in who he's writing to. In verse two, it says, to elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And so again, this fisherman who doesn't really know a whole lot has brought up a lot of good points here. So if you haven't noticed it, you should, he just mentioned the Trinity, mentioned God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ. Within the first two verses, we also have election. We, I mean, he's like, for being a fisherman who doesn't know a whole lot, um, Peter was really paying attention to the, the campsite fire whenever he was hanging out with Jesus. So the first part, he says, hopefully you picked up on that. He says, well, God the Father, the first thing he talks about is that we were chosen. Did you guys know that you were chosen? You guys know that, the, that God chose you from the very beginning? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that, that, that he loves us. And, and according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, again, a reminder that the chosen is the elect, it's, it's that we were chosen by God. And what a comfort to know that, that God, from the very beginning, knew that it was gonna be us. How did he do that? I don't know, he's God. But I know that he, that he decided to, to love me and to choose me to be saved. And he knows what's going to go on. And for it, it is what a comfort to know that God, who created everything, chose you, he chose me, and knows what is going to, on in our lives and cares for us every day. Christine has a phrase, and she says it is whenever we're going through something or something's coming up in our life, she's always like, Well, God, it's already there or is already with us and is not surprised at what's going to happen now. But he's already there. It's not a surprise to God if you're going through something. Why? Because, well, when he loves us and he chose us, and he's also going to be active within our life. The foreknowledge is the knowledge of things or events before they exist or happen. One commentator says it's not just that he saw that we would believe, but he has full knowledge of who he has chosen. Again, so sometimes people look at it and go, well, well, God can just look in the future, and that's how he knew, well, Kevin was going to do that. No, it's God knows everything. I mean, how does he do that? I, I don't understand how God does it. But I know that the scripture says it, and I know that I believe in what the scriptures say, and I believe in a God bigger than me, and I actually find comfort in the fact that it's not something that I was able to do because there's nothing that I could do to earn what he had given me. 
The Spirit is the next part. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, sanctifying refers either to the process of becoming holy by which the state of holiness is attained or to the end result that the sanctifying work has been attained. The Holy Spirit convicts us, bringing us to a faith in Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, it says, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification is actually one of my favorite things to talk about because I just, I, I look at it and it's just absolutely amazing to me that, that God calls upon us, okay? He woos us to be able to be saved, okay? So the, saint, the Holy Spirit woos us, we're then saved. And then God gives us salvation. One day we'll get, we'll get glorification, we get to go to heaven. All those things are incredible to me beyond anything that we deserve. I think the amazing thing is that sanctification is God still loves us so much that he continues to work in us every single day. It's just like, it's, I don't deserve salvation. God gives me salvation. I don't deserve heaven. God is gonna give me heaven. But then he continues to work in me every single day. Gives me the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's inside of me. He continues to work on me and, and continues to show me things that maybe I have a little too much pride in my life. And he continues to work on that little area of my life. And he starts working on it. And we're going to get this out of your life, Kevin, to where we can do that. And then once that's taken care of it, he sees something else. And he's like, you know what, Kevin, we're going to work on this. Why? The whole purpose is to try to make me more holy like he is. Isn't that amazing? That that's the God that we love. That it, again, it didn't just stop at this. It didn't just stop at one day we're gonna have this, but that God loves me so much that he wants to work in me every single day to continue to make me holy. Again, not for Kevin's glory or that Kevin would be able to hang his hat on something, but that I then would then turn around and glorify God. The third part of the Trinity here that we see is, is Jesus, the Savior, uh, the obedient to Christ Jesus and sprinkled his blood, um, sprinkled with his blood. Jesus is the, the, is the new covenant. We see the old covenant. Um, it's back in Exodus 24. It'll be on the screen as well too. 24, three through eight. And it says, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Again, not true, but well, that's what they said. Moses then wrote down everything that the Lord had said and he got up early next, the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as, as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people and they responded, we will do everything that the Lord has said, we will obey. And when Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so again, it's the old covenant is the fact that we were, the the blood that, that was offered at that point would just cover our sin. So God couldn't see it, but Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And so as we are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, our sin is completely washed away. And that's the difference. It's, it's, again, it was a covering in the Old Testament. The New Testament, we have a perfect sacrifice. We have a wonderful Jesus who was willing to do that. His death, then this blood that comes from him completely wipes us clean of any sin. Not that we never sin again. It's just that it's wiped away clean. And that's the amazing thing. Um, Warren Wiersbe um, summed it up the best as far as he says, he says, but the plan of salvation inclu- excuse me, includes more than the Father's electing love. 
It also includes the work of the Spirit in, a convic in convicting the sinner and bringing him to faith in Christ. The best commentary on this is 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14, which we just read. Also, the Son of God had to die on the cross for our sins, or there could be no salvation. We have been chosen by the Father, purchased by the Son, and set apart by the Spirit. It takes all three if there's to be a true experience in salvation. So again, it's the fact of, it doesn't just stop at, you know, God elects us, he chooses us, the Holy Spirit comes along, he woos us, he continues to do that work, and then it's the blood of Jesus Christ who then provides the salvation and forgiveness of sin so that then at that point, we have salvation. Amen is right. This should be good news for us, and it's also good news for the church that he's speaking to because as they continue to, to go through the trials and they go through the problems that they're having, a lot of times when we go through trials, it's, it's the fact that we start wondering, is God still there? Has God given up on me? Has God gone? He continues on and he says, in the uh, end of verse two, it says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And grace here is, we all like grace. We like getting what we don't deserve. So we like grace. We want all the grace that we can possibly have. And peace is, is total well-being. It's security associated with God's presence among his people. And can I just tell you too, that there's, there's never peace without grace without the understanding of having a full understanding that I've been forgiven by God, that I'm a Christian, and that I have a right relationship with him, it truly is impossible to have peace. I mean, we can sit there and we can try to buy the things to make us have peace and to have understanding. We can continue to, to, to try to find different things in relationships. We can have different conversations with people to try, try to find that peace that's within me. I can try to find my Zen moment. You know, I can do whatever that is the world offers the fact is, is, I never truly have peace until I have a true understanding of my relationship with my God. That my God has built, made me for a certain way and that he's forgiven me of my sins and that I'm able to actually walk into his temple and have, lay my prayers at his feet and have conversation with him. You realize that is something as well too, that for years, thousands of years, people were never able to do that before Christ. And what Christ did when he died, he tears, he tears the, 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 the curtain between him and the rest of the people from the top to the bottom. And at that moment, we're able to, then to come into the throne room of Christ, of God, and to be able to lay our petitions at his feet. And we're able to have conversation and communion with him, which for thousands of years, people were unable to do that. I think what we have here is a much older Peter that's reflecting on his calling in life and with Jesus and being entrusted with tending his sheep. We have, a, we have a Peter here who's writing a letter that's maybe not as brash as he used to be. We have a Peter that's here that, that is at this point is sitting there and he's not um, as excitable and he's not as, 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 as determined as, as what he was as a young man. And at this point in his life, he's a little older and he's a little understanding. One thing I've noticed as I've gotten older is I've been willing to accept people for the flaws that they have. Not just come down on them because they did this or be able to understand that, you know what? Everybody in this room has just got some stuff. Everybody in this room has got some quirks. I mean, that's just who we are. And it's the point where I'm gonna have grace and have understanding for people and to be able to come alongside people, to be able to point them in the right direction, but know that nobody in this room is perfect. And Peter says, I, I know that. I was a man that was never perfect. And I was a man that was willing to take that step and to be able to follow Christ. And I was a man who was willing to be able to be humbled and to be able to learn. And as he sits there and he writes this letter to them, we see 
Peter sees a church that's in need of reassurance and that needs the love of God and understanding what the promise is there for him. And when he tells them that, hey, look, I'm just letting you know you're, you're one of the elect. You've been chosen by God. It's not something that you can lose and it's not something that he's walked away from you. God loves you. He wants them to share in the abundance and the grace and the peace that's been offered. So that's Peter's story. So again, tonight then, well, what's your story? What's your story and how are you coming to Christ? What's your story of where you are with Christ? Are you currently walking with the Lord? Are you just here this night and somebody invited you to come here and Kevin, I've kind of been walking with the Lord and and maybe there's some theories in my life that I need to kind of get right and I need to get back on track. I can promise you probably didn't do anything worse than Peter. You wonder, well, am I one of the elect, Kevin? Well, come forward and get saved tonight. And yes, you are. If you feel the tug on your heart this evening and you're like, Kevin, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. And, and the things that you're saying this evening, it just, it, it kind of makes sense to me. And I just feel like, feel like there's something that's happening, then tonight is the night for salvation. Peter understood it, and, and when he heard the calling and he heard Christ say, follow me, he dropped his nets. Are, are you willing to drop your nets this evening? Are you willing to sit there on the shore or in this church this evening and say, Lord, it's, it's yours. I'm willing to give up everything for you. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian and you just know that you've been living a lifestyle and I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing at nights and I'm going to places and hanging out with people that I shouldn't be. Well, tonight, are you willing to drop your nets? Are you willing to be able to place them at the shore and just be able to say, Jesus, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to be yours. There's nothing else that I want. There's nothing else that I, that I need in my life and actually everything that I've been chasing is, has been just short of giving me any kind of enjoyment in life. It works for a little while and then it just kind of fades and then I have to find the next thing. I don't lie to you and say that, oh, if you come to Christ this evening or if you come back to Christ, that everything will be perfect in your life. It won't be. And Jesus actually promises that you'll have tribulations. I can promise you that you will have peace. I can promise you this evening that you'll have family that'll come alongside of you and encourage you and help you people to help you to get into the Bible and people that will sit there and pray with you and, and counsel you and talk to you. And that's, that's what we want to do. That's our piece in the puzzle. We're, we're looking for you to add the rest of that piece of the puzzle. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I pray that you would just continue to work in those hearts this evening that have been touched, Lord. Or maybe they need to make that decision this evening and come forward. Lord, somebody that needs to come back to you as well, Lord, I just pray that you would just confirm that in them this evening. For the rest of us that head home this night, that maybe there's some challenges that need to be in our life as well. And there's things that you have noticed that, or we're noticing that we need to change as well. Lord, I just pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to, to make that decision to change those things in our life as well. Father, again, we thank you for all that we do, Lord. We just pray that we can glorify you in our lives so the world would see you. And we ask this in your name, amen.